everyone, this is Charlie Levine, and you are listening to the Angler's Journal podcast, which is brought to you by always Angler's Journal magazine. If you're looking for a really good fishing magazine, that's not just a bunch of ads and how-to stuff, but actually interviews people that really love to fish and all the reasons we fish, check out anglersjournal.com and pick up a subscription. Uh, today, I am joined by a captain who's probably caught more billfish than you've ever dreamt about. Uh, been down in Guatemala for a long time, born and raised in Hawaii. Um, Captain Mike Sheeter, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you today? Good. Thank you for having me here, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. Here. It's um, It's been a while, man. I have some very fond memories getting down to Guatemala years ago. Um, I think when you were just sort of just I showing it was up. My, the first season I was there, I remember that day pretty well, actually. Yeah, I believe that was the first season. Maybe I was only there for a couple months, and uh, Jim Jim mentioned you're coming, and yep, I do remember that day. I, I think we caught a blue marlin and a whole, you know a ha couple handfuls of sails. Yeah, so at that time, uh, Jim Turner had just opened Casa Vieja Lodge, right? And your brother Chris was sort of the head captain, and he recruited you to come down. Um, my recollection is you were in the Merchant Marines. Is that right? Right. So I, uh, uh, I think at 19, I went to, to a Maritime Academy and uh, I continued to fish. I, you know, shipped out and then would fish the rest of the season. And But exactly right. Jim and uh, Chris, you know, recruited me to run the intensity. So uh they meant they, they, they were sending me emails while I was on a ship. And I said, all right, sure, I'll give it a try. So I agreed to fly down or fly down there and run the boat for a season. Right. And fast forward all these years and you're still running the same boat. That's been an incredible boat for raising fish right. down there. Tell us a little bit about your boat. Well, how, how that happened actually is, yeah, I, I, uh, I agreed to one season and only one season, but it ended up I, I enjoying it, obviously, and turned into two seasons, turned into three seasons, and then I ended up buying the boat from Jim, and and we worked together a few years after that. And I, I mean, it's been 15, at least 15 years, but yeah, the uh, intensity, probably the best boat I've ever run, obviously, for I've run it for 15 years, but it was basically built for exactly what it's doing. And uh, the guys before me, I mean, there's been legendary captains uh, that ran the boat, you know, for 15 years before I was. Chris ran the boat, Flash, a uh, bunch of other uh, real, real known uh, captains. But it's a great boat. It's basically a day boat that's, uh, you know, perfect for maneuverability on these fish and nice large cockpit and uh, the cabin, you know, it's open. So you're a few steps away from the action if you're laying down and mm -hmm. uh, it's a, it's a good boat. Yeah. It's now it's not a, is it a game fisherman or is it not a game fisherman? Cause it was built down there somewhere. Right. And I don't right. want to give too much away cause we are going to be writing a story. Gary Caputi is going to be writing a story about this. Boat. Right. So there, there's some back and forth with that. Um, <clears throat> so it was built in the Game Fisherman shop down in uh, in Costa Rica when obviously Game Fisherman was being built down there. Um, 
Dennis Allen was the builder for a game fisherman and uh, boats like the rum line, the decisive, which are still also yeah. in Guatemala were built down there. So it, uh, it was built by Dennis Allen and they, you know, with the same line, same concept, the, the engines are far apart, you know, the, uh, which back end is right? flat and, you know, everything is, uh, designed wise pretty much the same in the same shop with the same builders but um it's a hell of right, a game but, boat man it really right, is right, right right so for what you do for all our listeners who've never been down to guatemala you know it's sort of the sailfish mecca capital of the world it's it's when it's firing you guys see more fish than anywhere else and it's right even if it's not firing off we're we're doing pretty well we, we get upset if we only see 10 or 15 fish in a day and you know whatever fly fishing or conventional fishing will convert some some of those but you know if we only see 10 or 15 fish a day we're generally going to go somewhere else the next day you know that's, right that's a slow day. anywhere else around the world <laughs> you're, you're definitely going back to that spot yeah we're, we're we only get satisfied when we see 20 or more and then for us a, a good day is when we seeing 30 40 50 or, or more in a day that's right. that's generally when we start getting excited and, we're, and a bit ex we're a bit spoiled but it makes you guys so good too because it's just you're doing it so the repetition i mean you're getting a lot of shots every day and if you want to be a better angler at the offshore game and learn how to do you know a proper drop back on a conventional reel or to hook these things on fly which is really awesome because the bite's always right behind the boat i mean i tell everybody all the time it's like go down there don't worry if you miss a fish because there's gonna be another one in like two minutes um and your mates i mean you guys are just dialed in well i mean with that many occurrences and uh fish you know happening it, it makes everybody better you know i'm i remember the year that that first year and you were on the boat I was actually pretty nervous, you know, and, you know, you start getting into the heat and, and, you know, fish coming in, fish come, and, you know, it, it just makes you better. Not only seeing more fish because, you know, at, at any moment, if you're not seeing a fish or two in an hour or two, you need to move on, you know, and you, you start learning what their likes and dislikes are. And then when you do see that many fish maneuvering on the fish, so it makes me better, makes the mates better. They see the action. And uh, like you said, the, the anglers, um, you know, you, you don't need to get nervous when you miss a fish. That's generally what I tell people is if you backlash, actually, it's a good thing. I want people to backlash at the beginning because at least you learn that side rather than adding too much tension and, uh, you're gonna miss fish forever if you if you if you start adding too much tension and you you you, you miss fish on that level. If you backlash, okay, now pull away from that, and then you can learn. Get that out of the way. So, and every fish is different. There's you can catch a hundred fish. The next fish could be something you never saw before. So, if you've only seen twenty or thirty fish in a couple of years, then you still got a hundred or more to to feel comfortable so yeah it makes everybody better 
captain's crew and and obviously anglers i bet on a three-day trip from day one versus day three i bet you see a huge difference with your anglers right right no it's well confidence level too um uh, i think confidence when it comes to well in all type of fishing makes you better you don't want to start off confident obviously you want to you want to get to a point where you're, you're learning when the fishing's good even an amateur that's never hooked a billfish will at the end of three days get to a level where they they can hook fish maybe maybe not like a pro but you're gonna hook a fish yeah yeah and i think that's that that's our objective when someone shows up generally i go downstairs after we set up the lines and i'll spend an hour down there and the last 20 minutes i'll start explaining how to hook fish and then i'll come up with and say hey do you want to just jump into it right now or do you want the mates to hook it i'm hoping the answer is i'll jump into it now but if not sometimes people want to see it you know first they want to hear it then they want to see it mm -hmm. and then do it so you know if they want to see a couple fish get hooked hey, no problem you know yeah but at some point you're going to get into it and hey man you're going to lose fish but that's that's the way it is we don't we don't we don't keep them anyways so mm -hmm. whether we let them go next to the boat or in the first 10 seconds you know it, it is what it is and our, our 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 main goal is just getting people to enjoy themselves learn and hopefully they come back yeah and you and your brother chris was the same way he was always really chill on the bridge he might joke around and you know say something like make a joke about you missing a fish but it wasn't like the first time i went down there and fished with captain ron hamlin right and who different man. no and so i got <laughs> screamed and yelled at because you know i didn't know what the heck i was doing and by the end of the day he was my buddy you know i i earned his uh i don't know respect i guess but but I never got that from Chris, you know, your brother, who unfortunately we lost a, a gosh, has how long has it been now? It's been three years. Man, he was just one of the greats. And I, I would imagine you're the same way. Just like we're just out there to have fun, right? Well, I don't know if I could ever be like Chris, but um, I mean, with the, the I, no I, yelling. I, I, yeah, no, no, the, <laughs> my, the, the whole chill factor. Right. Yeah, I'm, I try and be chill. I generally pop out of my chill state when a when a blue marlin comes in. I I can't help myself there, but yeah, that's, I try that's acceptable, I, Mike. <laughs> yeah, well, I get excited if it's on. If we're conventional fishing, I'll still be chill. If we're fly fishing, I don't know, man. I, I a blue marlin comes up, I I kind of get a little bit like this level of that we're talking right now is generally what i'll do for sailfish i'll i'll just say right teaser right teaser mm -hmm. if the blue comes in I'll, I'll raise my voice and if the blue comes in while we're we're fly fishing i <clears throat> i may lose my voice after the, the occurrence but yeah well generally yeah i'm to. chill those yeah. blue marlin will get anyone fired up i mean fly fishing or even just dropping a bait back to that's got to be the big the biggest thrill in angling is is hooking a blue marlin the way you guys do it right behind the boat where you see right, right, everything right, right. it's just such a freaking adrenaline rush. well i mean if if you don't get excited it, it, well if you don't get excited period with you know bait and switch and bill fishing but it definitely if you don't get excited when a blue marlin comes in then you got to find something else to do because i mean that's 
that's the pinnacle. That's it. Right. So tell me a little bit about growing up in Hawaii. Did you and your brother do a lot of fishing growing up? Right. So, I mean, shoot. My earliest memories was uh, basically Chris and I, well, riding our bikes to the canal that was five blocks away and fishing for uh, you know little giant trevallis and little mackerels, which we call live there. And uh, I mean, we started there, and then once uh, once we could get on a bus, then we got bus passes and would go to a town, a beach town, uh, several miles away and we'd fish off of a wharf or a pier. And then, then he finally got his driver's license and uh, I think he got a nine foot, Chris was always the one, you know, pushing the limits and he'd take me along for the ride. So he, he would, he bought a nine, I believe it was a nine foot Zodiac wasn't even rigid or nothing it was a literally blow up zodiac and we had a 10 horsepower engine on it and we would do inshore fishing but we would take that offshore also oh god you would take us you know <laughs> off the edge which uh, was like six eight miles offshore and we would go from hawaii kai to diamond head i don't not everybody knows hawaii but there's an edge there we would catch wahoo and uh little uh yellowfin tunas that we call uh shibi and it would be rough and uh so we i mean he had always pushed the limit and bring me along for the ride and eventually obviously we he ended up being a deckhand in uh Kiwala basin and then a captain and then i got old enough and i started deckhanding you know on the weekends and so on and so forth so these places you're talking about is that on oahu on Oahu, right. We, we grew up uh, on Oahu. Okay. And it's pretty rough. <laughs> it's not like Kona. Right, Kona's right. always pa nice. Pa and... Penguin Banks, if anybody knows the area, we, is uh, generally rough. And uh, we would, I mean, in that nine-foot Zodiac, would go out and good six-foot seas just chop. Not, I mean, that's that stuff was stacked up in between there. Wow. So, I hope you uh, had some life jackets. <laughs> uh i, I guess it doesn't we did, but <laughs> <laughs> knowing, knowing chris no we didn't have any life chat several times we got back on vapor too i remember we again he pushed the limits and was trying to stay out as long as possible and uh the, the fuel tank the gas tank only had a, a few drops left but that's, we always made it back oh that's crazy <laughs> and and so then christmas island right wasn't he midway midway oh, midway okay so right, tell me right. about this that north, northwest wine island man that was so chris was a guide there or were you both guys he, he was a captain he was uh recruited by john bone i know some people have uh a know of john bone um so uh long story short this guy uh, mark thompson got contracted i believe to run the island his friend was john bone and he started the fishing and diving on midway island and uh he got uh two uh 38 birch rooms and uh, sent them up there i don't know if i think they went on a barge or something like that and uh 
he ended up somehow Chris got in touch with them and uh, he got to run uh, the 38 Bertram that was named Yorktown. Uh, history guys would know the name Yorktown, obviously from Midway. Uh, Chris fished one uh, year there and I, I graduated high school at that time and he said, come on up, be my deckhand. I was like, heck yeah. So I actually postponed going to the Maritime Academy to uh, fish with Chris. I think it was one or two seasons. Parents didn't like that at all. They <laughs> obviously didn't like Chris convincing me to go there or me doing it, but man, no regrets. That was an experience. Yeah, I know I went, I went to the Maritime Academy and shortly after that, they shut down the island and made it a uh, natural reserve, which uh, right. was, I, I, I mean, we all wanted to go back, but um, to the public, it's closed down. I believe there's still people there doing the, uh, the turtle counting and seal, monk seal, whatever they do there. But, but you guys, to, didn't you get some world records on fly? Is that where Chris really started getting the fly fishing thing going? Right. So obviously we were there for the Blue Marlin and they, uh, uh, Glacier Bays. There was two Glacier Bays there also. And uh, catamarans. Catamaran, yeah. Outboard uh, catamaran. So those were the inshore boats for the giant trevallis. And uh, I mean, no one really knew about giant trevallis except for us guys from Hawaii. We call them aluas. And it's a big deal there. So it's kind of hard to sell it on people. Now it's a big deal. But I mean, 80, 90, 100 pounders were common there. And um, Chris got into the fly fishing for him. I, I don't know who uh, put him onto that. But I would go with him. And uh, we would do the, the giant trevallis right off the reef. We'd ba basically, the system was to chum them up. We'd go and catch yellowfin tuna on the Bertrams and uh, use them for chum to catch giant trevallis. But, uh, you know, the bait fish would come in, all that stuff, and the sharks would come in. And you'd know when the giant trevallis were coming in when everything just, just shoots out. Even, even the sharks get out of the way for the giant, yeah. And uh, so with chum, it's pretty easy once they're in there. Obviously, you take a chunk of chum and or meat and throw it at them. The fly was uh, interesting. You know, you throw a piece of chum here, a piece of chum there, and then cast the, the chum fly. We, we didn't even have chum flies. Then we would just take a red rag and floss it onto a hook, and that would be our, our chum fly. But um, we would save all the, we're trying to save the records for the clients. And uh, I wasn't there at the time, but when they, when Chris knew they were shutting down, he, uh, he came up with a plan and he went and got two or three records on his own. And uh, cool. later he told me how he did it. And I was, it's pretty impressive because the problem with the giant Trevallis is you hook them and they immediately go down and they go into the reef. And they break, break you off. off. And uh, on conventional, what you do is Spectra just came out around then and uh, just put the heaviest Spectra you can on there and you, you just slam down the drag. And I mean, it's, you break your back. But on fly, I mean, how do you stop them? 
so we would have guys that would fly fish and the fish that are 50 pounds or less probably you could get but anything more than that they would, they would get you in the reef you know it, um and he he got two or three records and i asked him what he did it was pretty smart he chummed them up and as soon as he saw a uh, a fish back there a giant trevally that was you know size worthy for the record um he pulled he i don't know if he pulled the anchor or he didn't have anchor or anything like that but he he idled the boat offshore and just kept chumming them how oh, to get him away from the reef get him away from the reef right ah. and uh once he was in deep enough water then you hook him see he's a he's a smart boy yeah 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 i was like dang <laughs> why don't we think about that earlier you know the only things there sometimes you got to deal with the sharks there's a lot of sharks there but you know but he got them i think he got the the 16 pound and 12 or i know he got at least two of them i believe they're still standing records oh wow that's pretty neat and so then after that shutdown was that when he went to guatemala was it tim choate that he worked for at, at, at the beginning there so now i was um i went to the maritime that's when he called me and he says man they're shutting it down and uh i believe he went to costa rica for a season or two i think he worked in crocodile crocodile bay lodge or one of those things um, this must be what like the early 90s or mid 90s no 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 early 2000 okay uh no maybe uh maybe late 90s early okay. 2000 because that's that's right so he he did go uh 2000 or 2001 is when i believe he would to guatemala with tim Chota at fins and feathers and that was uh, but but anyway the the process well, the progression was from uh midway to uh Costa Rica. I know he was in Costa Rica for a year or two. And then I think he met Tim Chota at a boat show, gave him his resume. And then next thing you know, he was running the magic. Another epic charter boat. Right. As this basically uh, the same as intensity, but a 30 or a 31. Those are built side by side. That, that was the chip. So that's another story that uh, <clears throat> Uh, with the intensity intensity and the magic were built for tim chode for fins and feathers out of that okay. shop in costa rica there's a long story and uh, yeah take a few hours. And there's all sorts of <laughs> people have different things to it's, add to that it was but, a a pretty remarkable time in the offshore fishing world when right so for our listeners tim cho opened a I guess the first real lodge in Guatemala was Fins right. and Feathers and brought together these captains who have all gone on to really amazing careers and um, put that place on the map and really, you know, it's he definitely showing, did, you know, yeah. magazines and videos and all this stuff. And, um, and then it just kind of grew and grew and grew. Right. I, it, it, he definitely put Guatemala on the map. Um, and I remember uh, I was still at the academy and Chris said, come on down, man. I got to take you fishing. I met Tim Chode. I was on the magic. They went fishing. And I mean, I couldn't believe it. I, we were just, we just started fishing. 
you know, pulling teasers and everything. And I, you know, I, I'm from Hawaii and all that. So anything with a bill, I call Marlin. And I remember uh, within 10 minutes, a sailfish came in and I'm yelling, Marlin, Marlin, you know, I'm screaming, Marlin, you know, I was all excited. And Chris just pushing me aside, say, calm down. It, you know, it's, <laughs> the mates, the mates heard Marlin. So they're, they're pitching the, the oh. mackerel or the, the mullet, but it was a sailfish, you know, so. Well, at that point then i kind of calmed down and it was a uh, definitely an eye-opening experience seeing basically you have to see the fish versus in hawaii or midway when you're trolling lures and you know half most of the time you're looking forward looking where you're going and if you get a bite you, you hook up if you don't you know it, bait and switch you got to look backwards you got to see the fish come in or else you're you're not going to do very well. Right. That so was definitely a, an eye-opening experience. But those, the Pacific sales are so much bigger than the ones we catch in Florida. So, I mean, I could, I could understand someone calling one of these things at the first sight of Marlin because they're, uh, it, it was a bit embarrassing, you know, I, I'll admit to it, but you know, I think the mates kind of looked up at me like, what was, what was this guy doing? <laughs> Silly but, gringo. <laughs> yeah. I thought you're supposed to be his brother, you know, what the heck? but I, I got, I quickly adapted to uh, the system and, but yeah, the, we get, we get large sailfish, um, you know, seeing a hundred pounder, that it, it, it happens. They're, they're long, long, long. Right, right, right. So, you know, all these years, the fishery seems to keep sustaining more boats coming, more people going, but the fishing is, I mean, well, you tell me, is the fishing still as good as it, as it was, or do you have any concerns? Um, yeah, I mean, we always have concerns. I, it's, I remember from day one, the first year I was there, we had concerns, you know, the commercial fishing fleet, obviously. Um, maybe they're getting larger or or their tactics and stuff like that um i i believe the numbers wise has been consistently the same now there's been you know better years and lesser years but it seems to always kind of you know last year was slow this year's going to be good or you know vice versa um little now, cyclical Right now, the only thing is to add to that is, uh, I don't know how they call it in the scientific world is, you know, advance advancements in, in fishing technology. You know, now everybody, I remember the first two years, we never had satellite imaging. It was, it was a guess, you know, oh, the current's coming from this way. So we're going to look for the blue water over there or the warm water or this, that. Now it's like, look at a, a terrafin map and okay we're going to run 45 miles to the east and we're going to you know yeah so is that offsetting you know i don't know but do you guys our, our have fishing, to run a little further than you used to or does it sometimes they're in close sometimes they're out far we well obviously we hope they're in close that's yeah. what we're we're hoping for our uh our structure is uh meant for close fishing we have a drop off at six to eight miles um that 
I would uh, I would say we we have a little bit more runs, but I think too is again that that satellite that satellite pulls us off. You know, we're always interested in the stuff that's further out there. You know, you go you go as a kid, you go to a a wharf. Do, do you you may do a, sh a couple short casts, but I bet you you spend most of the time casting as far as you can. So I mean that's what we're doing. So if there's any doubt where we're fishing usually end up going far so whether that's where the fish are actually at or that's where we want to go is yeah. oh, that's know. interesting you're right <laughs> i get that and I, I will say this when you fly into guatemala like one of the first things you see in the airport is a big sign about releasing sailfish and the government does protect sailfish there which i've always admired so I mean, I'm sure there's still some artisanal guys whacking these fish, but it's impressive that they're trying. Right. And actually, that goes back to Tim Chode when uh, when he started. I believe he's it was him or someone in that system that got that passed at an early uh, time frame. And it you know, obviously stayed in their, uh, their rules because it is illegal to kill sailfish yeah it's smart is, i mean a good thing all these people are coming down and they're booking rooms and restaurants i mean they're spending money it's just a it's a smarter I way to do it i believe he even came up with the you know for each sailfish that's released it's worth like six eight hundred dollars right you know if you if you go do through those the studies the, the stuff yeah he did that whole study i remember he uh he came he flew down to guatemala and uh show it all of us obviously to get more people into the you know selling everybody on the release obviously most of us are sold on already but you know when the when a central american sells a sailfish you know for its meat it's yeah. it's only worth like 30 40 bucks right yeah so. and, and the other big movement that came from guatemala was uh circle hooks so I don't, right, right. that was the first time that I really remember circle hooks coming onto the scene was when Ron Hamlin got up and said something like, I'll never use another J hook again, man. That was an interesting time also. Cause that was before I, that was, I think that was the first year Chris was in Guatemala and he told me about this. They were using circle hooks for billfish and, and I was fishing on a boat in Honolulu that was doing the tournaments in Kona. And so I got a whole bunch of information from what size a circle hook, what gauge, what type of knot to put on it. And uh, the Ma Maggie Joe was the boat. And um, so I convinced the owner of uh, Maggie Joe, hey man, let's try and use a few circle hooks for live bait. Obviously we're pulling lures, uh, trolling, but they're you know up on the grounds up north um when the, the the skipjack are there or the aku they have live bait so we we tried circle hooks and i mean i believe we caught a double blue marlin and some other stuff and even looking back i was using the wrong size of hooks and stuff but i was learned hawaii's where the circle hook was invented the polynesian the the native hawaiians were using circle hooks hundreds of years ago and uh kind of weird how it kind of hmm. 
comes back around. I had to get someone from Guatemala to tell me to use circle hooks for billfish, but it worked. It worked, and you know, it stopped a lot of gut hooking, which. I'm sure we all know, you know, a gut hooked fish, you can release it. It's the mortality rate's going to be pretty high and circle hooks yeah. almost always hook them right in the corner of the mouth. If you do it right. Yeah. So if you do it right. And that that's, again, that's a learning process there because you definitely do things differently when you're hooking a fish on a, a circle hook versus a J hook. I mean, I don't know how many times myself or my mates have to yell, don't clients. set the hook don't set the hook <laughs> oh i've i've been i mean we'll see that rod tip come up and where you're like don't set and they're oh, oh. and yeah you know sancocho what's a sancocho <laughs> yeah sancocho when the head comes back and you there's there's several things there and there lies too you have to feed the fish that feeds that the fish has to swallow the hook again if you're not a very good angler you can get away with a J hook because you're going to hook them on the outside. So they don't need to swallow it, but on a J or a circle hook, they got to swallow it mm -hmm. and you got to ease up that drag. You got to let the rod set the hook by just bending over. I, it takes me a half hour to explain everything. So, yeah, but I, you know, if anyone, like I said earlier, if it's something that you want to do, that's the place to go do it. And you spend a few days with someone like yourself and, boom, you're before you know it, you feel like an expert because you start getting and you guys are so good at once you hook one fish, you always seem to get a second or a third. You make like that long turn and, you know, oh, don't bring the other baits in just yet. Like a lot of people, I think you hook a fish and it's like, bring the baits in. But you guys are so good at the double triples quads. I mean, it's it's awesome. Yep, that, and again, that's where you get good at it is you. You start seeing those multiple fish and you know everybody wants to focus in on the first fish but again i that's why i tell people just because one person's over there trying to hook, don't stare at them look at watch your look bait. At the other baits yes because i especially if people are learning i'm looking at the guy telling them you know okay you're doing that okay put the bait back further or no bring it in you're gonna get bit you know try and walk them through it but if everybody's doing that you know the other fish coming up I, I was I was I did a trip last week and I remember circling around and uh, the fish that we're hooked up to is now in front of us and I'm just pulling the the uh, engines out of gear and I'm pulling in my bridge teaser like this you know looking at the fish I'm going to pivot around and I feel a tug and I a lot of times the mates if I'm not pulling in quick enough and they think I'm going to run over the bridge teaser they start pulling it in okay but they accidentally tug on me and i'm like i'm tugging back and i'm like dang it stop and i go i turn around to yell at the mate stop tugging against me and i look back there's a sailfish tugging the on teaser's the teaser. popping up out of the water he's trying to bite the teaser oh, and we're man. going backwards and i'm yelling at, how come no one you know hook that fish <laughs> so they threw the valley you know the, the pitch bait in the water and they hooked the fish while i was in neutral so we ended up catching both of them but but again it's again it's a learning experience you you got a fish in the pattern. Not everybody needs to look at them. You, you got to look at everywhere else. Watch your bait. I always, yeah, I've learned that lesson too many times. And yeah, go down there, get a couple blisters on your thumb and learn how to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So tell me about your operation you've got now, Mike. You've got your own boat. It looks like you have your own lodge for guests. Um, what's right. the... So I, I bought the boat from Jim, oof, was it 12 years ago? And, you know, I worked in partnership with Jim uh, for a while. And then Jim did the release boat works thing, which he's still doing now. So, I, yeah, I got my own place. It's more of a... Uh, you know, fine-tuned to individual. It's not, you know, a 30-room lodge, small groups. Um, you know, we got water in the back. We're going to have a pongo where we can catch snook fishing and stuff like that. And, you know, it's more of a private, secluded thing. Yeah, it looks beautiful. So guests come in, you pick them up at the airport, shuttle them down to the coast, and they stay at your house. Um, right. Do you stay so there all you got to well, do is or? get get you know get a flight down to guatemala city and then we pick you up and we we take care of everything from from pickup to drop off and you guys have it so dialed i mean if anyone's listening to this and you're a little apprehensive about going to guatemala don't be the the mike and the operations there they're super dialed in they take such good care of you i'm sure you have a great chef the food's always good yep yeah Um, we try and i mean we have a menu, but if we want to deviate from the menu, it's no no problem because you know you're you're the group, you're you're the stars in the in the house. And when is the best time of year? I know you catch fish all year, but man, I get that's one of the first questions I get on a boat, or when someone's thinking about coming down. When is the best time? I'll you know what? I'll take a page off of Chris. He would say the best time to come down is when you can come down. Yeah. Now, yeah, we have seasons, but there's, there's always selfish there. It's not like they leave or if they do leave other ones come in. Um, my best, I think my best day conventional fishing, uh, was it like 86 in a day? 86 uh, fish. 86 fish. And that was either June or July which generally people don't think is in season. Yeah, that's but again, sort of the rainy time of year. Right. So there you go. That That's what types of seasons we have. So uh, April, May, it may start raining. A lot of times what it's going to be, it's going to start raining at night. Yeah. So you still can fish. So from April, May to... Uh, October uh there's that what we call the the rainy season but it generally rains at night um again they're sailfish year round uh a lot of people like to come down during the winter months because about December or January it will never rain and that goes into March and April it should never rain it's going to be sunny every single day. And uh, generally the weather is going to be flat. Um, and uh, occasionally we get some, uh, some fronts that'll come through. So it'll be windy for two or three days, but generally the weather is, is nice. Um, yeah. Uh, most people are, over the years think January, February, March, January, February, March. The thing is January, February, March, 
you're going to see sailfish, but you're not going to see too many blue marlin or, you know, large tuna or stuff like that. October, November, December, not only are you going to see sailfish, but you're probably going to see blue marlin also, especially if you fish three days. The last three days we fished, the first day we saw three blues, and I think the following two days we saw a blue each day. Wow. Uh, there was other boats that went out and uh, they had guys that wanted to go get the ye yellowfin tuna. You know, again, that's there's sailfish around, but they decided to go get yellow. And there's the last couple of years, there's been big yellowfin. Uh, lately, it's been common to get ones that are over 200 pounds. Woo! That's a nice and one. <laughs> so the, the issue is everybody wants to come down and catch sailfish, which I understand, but there's other things on the menu there, you know, if, you know, there's That's blue cool. marlin there. There's yellowfin. There's rooster fish too. There's rooster fish. I don't know if I want to go rooster fishing. But <laughs> they're there. There's they're snapper. There. There's grouper. And, you know, a lot of people think, there's nothing else to do in Guatemala but go fishing, and that's wrong too. There's some great sightseeing there. Antigua is a lot of fun if you want to right. bring, you know, the wife, and you can go hike volcanoes. And there's there's lots of cool stuff to do around there. Right. So Antigua, I mean, that's I believe it was the first uh, uh, capital of Central America was Antigua. It's so beautiful. back in the day when Central America was all one. Uh, Antigua is the, the capital, so it's a you know nice cobblestone uh, town. Uh, these uh, Spanish, you know, castles that are converted into hotels or restaurants, and mm -hmm. and That's it's cool uh, sitting right right below to a volcano. So you basically walking down a street, a cobblestone street, and you're looking up at you know some volcano. So. Uh, and I would say the majority of people there speak English because it's a very uh, traveled, touristy town. Yeah, we love it. My wife and I have been there a few times. There's great restaurants and, you know, she likes shopping. And we we did a, one of those coffee plantation right, right, tours. Plantain, that's right. Coffee is big there also. I mean, yeah, that's, you definitely spent a, cool a couple place. of days just in Antigua. Yeah. So if someone wants to get, get down, Mike, what do they do? Just jump on your website. What's your website? Yeah, Intensity Sport Fishing is the, the website I got. We also have uh, Instagram and Facebook. I believe our Facebook is uh, Intensity Sport Fishing and Instagram is Intensity underscore Sport Fishing. Excellent. So yeah. go check out Intensity Sport Fishing. Trust me, if you go fishing with Captain Mike Sheeter and his crew, you will be a better angler. That's uh, <laughs> that, take that that's to the job. bank. <laughs> yeah, making dreams come true, right? There you go. Awesome, Mike. Well, thank you so much for your time, buddy. It's great to catch up with you. <laughs> thank you, Charlie. Thank you uh, for having me. Yeah, man. Let's stay in touch. Please. All right. Signing off. Take care. <laughs>